If you don't know, we're in Colossians. Here's the story. Uh, 15 years ago or more, Michael Eaton, many of you will know who that is, said to me, R.T., you need to do Colossians. At Westminster Chapel, we did several books, but not Colossians. And I said, well, I'm not at Westminster anymore. I, I don't know how I would do it. And then two years later, he said, R.T., you need to do Colossians. I said, well, but how do you do it? You've got to be in a church, you know, do it every week. Uh, I was traveling all over the world. I said, I don't know how to do Colossians. And then th three years ago, another person, a prophetic friend of mine, Bobby Connor, said, R.T., every time I look at you, I see Colossians. And I knew by that, and I told that to Colin two years ago, and he said, look, when you come back, it must be Colossians. So that's what we did last year. And uh, we continue now. And here's where we were last year. Uh, chapter 2, we finished at verse 19. So here is the reading today. If you want, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? as if you were still alive in the world. Do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this is most holy and infallible word. A good way to know whether you have heard the gospel is when you say, that's too good to be true. Until you have that thought, if that doesn't enter your mind, you haven't heard it yet. You see, if you're told, in order to get to heaven, you've got to do this and do that. Give up that, but do this. And you're given a book of rules and told a list of things, of do's and don'ts, and you do these things, uh, that may get you to heaven. That's not good news. But when you're told that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, his blood satisfied God's justice, and by transferring the trust that you had in your good works to what Jesus did for you on the cross, you go to heaven. In other, in other words, because Jesus died and you trust his death, you go to heaven, and that's it. Someone says, that's too good to be true. That's when you heard it. And until that thought comes to your mind, chances are you have not heard the gospel. Now, as to the question, could you be a Pharisee? You may say, well, what would be so bad about that? Well, it's this, that the Pharisees were a sect of the Jews uh, who wanted the crucifixion of Jesus. They were the main ones that brought it about. 
And uh, so you would want to be a Pharisee then. And I think the word Pharisee is synonymous with self-righteousness. And so I asked the question, could you be a Pharisee? Well, now, knowing that you're going to go to heaven because of the death of Jesus, that's good news. And that is what was taught at the church in Colossae. But there was a problem, obviously, by the way Paul's writing, that these Colossians were tempted to think that they needed to add to that. They needed to do more. That it wasn't enough just to trust the blood of Jesus, but you needed to add to that rules. Uh, do not do this. Do not do that. Or as Paul put it, the rules, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, and that sort of thing. Uh, well, the question is, Paul says that we are buried with him in baptism. Uh, and he's referring to the same thing that he said to the Colossians. Buried with Christ in baptism. And this refers to a transaction that took place in heaven. Now, here's the question. Who initiated your salvation? Did it begin in heaven or did it begin with you? If it begins with you, then you've got to keep it going. If it begins in heaven, then you come to terms with an amazing thought. Let's put it this way. People ask, can you know the day and the hour when you were born again? Others would say, well, I know I'm born again, but I don't know if I could tell you the time or the place. Uh, I asked in the first service, and I thought I would ask again. I want you to go along with me. It's not a trick question. Those of you who believe you can pinpoint the day and the hour and the place when you were born again, would you raise your hand? I'd like to see it. I mean, if you know when you were born again, raise your hands. Several hands up. Okay, hands down. Are there those here today? You cannot tell you the time or the place, but you know you have been born again. Can I see your hands? Well, it looks like a few more. And the rest of you, I don't know, maybe you haven't been born. <laughs> you, you haven't gone along with me. That's okay. Augustus Toplady, who wrote the hymn, Rock of, clay, a rock of ages, cleft for me, made an interesting statement. He said, you may know the sun is up, although you were not awake the moment it arose. Well, now, to those of you who believe you know the time and the place where you were born again, uh, with loving respect, uh, that is not true. Here's why. You see, there was a time before you were born again that God was at work. It's called regeneration. And the word regeneration is the same thing as being born again. So uh, as in your own natural birth, you were in your mother's womb. And you didn't have anything to do with that. And you can't remember when that was. But you would know when it was manifested. So those who say, I know the time and the place, what you're really saying, I know when I came to realize it. 
but it began in heaven. Uh, a story, fresh in my mind, uh, was given to me yesterday. Uh, I was invited to a, a luncheon uh, with some Christian leaders who are supporting Franklin Graham. As some of you know, he's coming to England and uh, a lot of opposition to him. Many of his venues have been canceled, but there were ministers there who are supporting him as, as I do, and I hope you do. And, but he told an interesting story. He said that when his father, Billy Graham, was 90, he, Billy said, I will live till I'm 95. And Franklin said, we all said, no, you won't. But he made it to 95. And then when he's 95, he said, I will live till I'm 100. So Franklin said, we believed him this time. <laughs> but he died at the age of 99. And so people came up and, to Franklin and said, well, your father didn't make it to 100. And Franklin said, oh, yes, he did. You see, he was born in November 2018. 1918, and so he died in February 2018, and Franklin said he was nine months in his mother's womb before he was saved, and he actually made it to 100. So, so the point is, regeneration is an unconscious work. And you don't realize till later, consciously, what actually happened. Well, what we have here in Colossians is language similar to what Paul said to the Romans. Romans 6, verses 6 and 7. Our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Well, that is what happened when we came to Jesus Christ on earth. And uh, there are those who say, but wait a minute. I know what I did. It's what I did. I answer, no, it's what God did enabling you to do what you did. You could not have done what you did had not God entered in first. And so here's what happens often. It's happened to me. It was happening to the church in Colossae. There are those who, when they realize what the gospel is, say, hmm, but there must be something I should do. And because you know you have been saved, a very common problem is that since we've had this good news, it seems too good to be true, we tend to try to make good what God has done for us and we add to our faith our good works. And then uh, the result of that is you take your eyes off Jesus and you begin to look at yourself and you wonder why you have lost the joy of your salvation. There are those who will come along and say, here is what you need to do. Now, I'm going to make a, a confession. And I'm not making this up and I'm not... Uh, trying to be uh, clever. But I have battled with self-righteousness all my life. And because partly the way I was brought up, but also partly because I'm a sinner. 
and even those who didn't have this background have the problem. And that is, you want to give in to anything that looks like, well, you ought to do something to make sure you're saved. Now, a big question that scholars have put concerning the book of Colossians is, is what is the Colossian heresy? Uh, that's the way it's put by many. Uh, and no one knows for sure what it was. But it seems to be a mixture of two things. What the Judaizers tried to do and what the Gnostics tried to do. And that's why you have references to Jesus being fully God, fully man. That was to deal with the Gnostic heresy. You see, the Gnostics could not believe that God would actually be a real man. That he only appeared to be a man. And they were called docetists or docetists uh, from the Greek word dokeo that means appears. That he only appeared to be a man, but he wasn't really a man. And so Paul says, yes, he was a man, fully man. In fact, he was, as, he was man as though he were not God. He was God as though he were not man. And this is supernatural and you believe it by faith. And Paul was dealing with that heresy. But then there was another problem. We today would call them Judaizers. I don't know what they called them then, but we're talking about Jews who made professions of faith. Whether they were really saved, who knows? Possibly not. In any case, they said to Gentiles, you cannot really be a part of the covenant unless you are circumcised and they would bring the law around. And you, must, you need to keep the law to show that you're really a part of the, uh, being a part of the child of God. And the result was that these people got their eyes off Jesus. And it's a sad thing. The Apostle Paul, who had a ministry to the Gentiles, did not need to bring in the law. He just preached the gospel but Judaizers came in and said, look, Paul's done you no favor. Uh, he, he should have told you about the law. And he actually turned some of Paul's own converts against Paul and saying, oh, well, he did let us down. We should know more about the law. And uh, the thing is, it's easy to do. Now, when I say I've had a problem with self-righteousness, um, as I said, self-righteousness and Phariseeism uh, come to much the same thing. Uh, and having preached the gospel, as I've sought to do over the years, I've been amazed how those who hear me all the time still don't get it. I had a shock one day. Uh, man came into the vestry to see me at Westminster Chapel, who has sat under my ministry for years. And uh, he was uh, uh, notified that he had a disease, he was going to die. And he wanted to leave a legacy to Westminster Chapel, some of money. And uh, I thanked him for this. But then he said something, I, I, I wasn't prepared. He said, would you leave a, a plaque somewhere in the chapel with my name on it that I gave this gift 
Uh, you could put it by the organ, or you could just put it somewhere. And I thought, I can't believe this. He's heard me preach. The last thing you want to do is to try to get recognition for what you've done. You see, the Pharisees, they would not give an offering unless everybody were told about it. They got no joy in giving. But if you knew about it, they got joy. So Jesus said they would sound a trumpet. They would hire a band. And because they wanted everybody to know that they've given. Same with those who pray a lot. They want to make sure people know that they pray. And the question is, can you give and nobody know about it? Uh, I used to say to the members of Westminster Chapel, how many of you could have tea with Her Majesty the Queen and never tell anybody? Could you? Do you think you could see the Queen and, and not even tell anybody? Well, that would be the fun of, of it. I mean, I doubt you would enjoy her that much, uh, but you'd like to tell that you were with her. Well, it, it's the same idea. Uh, so, do you think that you might be a Pharisee? You want people to know things. You see, Jesus gave the reason that the Pharisees missed Christ. People ask, how could the Jews have missed seeing that Jesus was the Messiah? So Jesus raised the question. He said, I know why you don't believe in me. He said, how can you believe? How can you believe? John 5, 44, who receive honor from one another and do not make any attempt to seek the honor that comes from God. So let me ask you a question. Which is more important to you? The opinion of people or God's opinion? Are you willing to do something because God will get the glory, but no one will agree with you? How do you feel if people criticize you for what you do when God says you ought to do it, but you want others to go along with you? I've just written a book. It's, I think it's actually out. I'm not sure if it's out over here called For an Audience of One. It is said that Billy Graham preached to millions, but he preached for an audience of one. And living like this is not as easy as you may think because you want others to see what you are doing. Well, what is the solution? Here's what Paul is wanting them to do, is to focus entirely on the person of Jesus and what he did on the cross. To know that he's the God-man and that his death on the cross totally satisfied God and you get your joy just from focusing on Jesus, his humanity, his deity, his life, his death. And if you turn away from Jesus and take your eyes off Jesus, what happens is you begin to look to your works and it, you find out that works don't work. For example, here's what Paul said. Doing these things is based on rules. Do not do this. Do not do that. You see, here's what was happening. 
the Judaizers were having, Judaizers were having this influence. Uh, this is probably a reference to Numbers, the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 19, verse 11, where uh, it's written in the law, whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean for seven days. Well, that's why you have this reference. Uh, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used. Uh, and then he referred to probably the Mosaic law regarding eating. You see, the book of, of Leviticus chapter 11 uh, tells you what you can eat and what you cannot eat. And so a good Jew uh, could never eat pork or lobster. When it comes to seafood, you can only eat uh, fish if they have scales. Well, lobsters don't have scales. But I'll tell you a funny story. There's a fish in South Florida. Uh, it's called mahi-mahi, delicious fish. And I ran into an Orthodox Jew who was eating mahi-mahi. And I said to him, they don't have scales. He said, well, our rabbis have said that if you take a magnifying glass and look very carefully, you do find that mahi-mahi have scales. It shows that we all manage to do what we want to do. Uh, it, it was very popular in America a few years ago, and I guess with some. A book came out on what did Jesus eat? And the idea, if you want to be more like Jesus, you would eat what Jesus ate. And of course, that brought you right back to law and the dietary habits. When, when Jesus actually said, he pronounced all foods clean. But there are those who, well, they go back to the law and they get some kind of a holy feeling from this. And it's right against the gospel. You see, man-made religion, uh, the counterfeit of what is genuine. Satan hates the gospel. And he hates for us to have the freedom that comes from embracing the gospel. Charles Spurgeon once said, I looked to Christ and the dove flew in. I looked to the dove and he disappeared. What that means is that by looking to Christ, you're getting your joy and you're finding yourself just wanting to obey Christ and please him and just looking to him. But here's what often happens. The devil or somebody will say, but that's not enough. You need to make sure you're doing this, doing that, and keep a book of rules. And uh, before you know it, you've lost the joy that you had. Um, I came to this country to do research on uh, Reformed theology and the Puritans. And here's what I found out. In the 16th century, people like Luther and Calvin uh, set people free by just looking to Christ. In fact, Calvin actually said, if we look to ourselves, that is sure damnation. But if we look to Christ, there is liberty, the mirror of our election. Well, that was good. The world was transformed. But in the 17th century, the English Puritans raised a new question. They said, it's fine that you say you're justified by faith alone, but... How do you know you have faith? And people began to, began to ask, oh, 
well, I'm not sure. And so they said, here's how to know you have faith. You do this, you do that, you do this, like you keep the Sabbath. That's one thing. You love God's ministers. You don't do these things. And before you know it, you're right back into legalism and you're right into the very Phariseeism. Uh, it's so easy for this to happen. Uh, you see, my own background, I was brought up uh, to believe in these uh, external type of things. Uh, I couldn't go to cinema. Uh, the girls uh, always kind of felt sorry for them. Uh, they couldn't wear lipstick. Uh, if we ever saw a girl wearing lipstick, we knew she was backslidden because you, once you got right with God, you didn't wear lipstick. And uh, there have been always those who say, you don't do this, you don't do that. I'll tell you a funny story. True, unembellished. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the man at Westminster Chapel for 30 years, told me this story. He was on vacation with his wife in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. A wealthy man set up for him a nice vacation, but he also had meals with Dr. Lloyd-Jones, like three meals a day. So uh, he, they were grateful for the nice vacation. But the trouble was this man who took them out and ate with them all, all these three meals a day could not finish a conversation without referring to these so-called Christians who say they're saved, but they smoke and drink. And uh, put Dr. Lloyd-Jones kind of on the spot. He just went, mm, well, he couldn't say much. Uh, and said the trouble was he couldn't finish a meal, three meals a day. These so-called Christians who smoke and drink well, at the end of the week, and it was time to leave, the doctor was kind of relieved. He got so tired of hearing that every day. But what happened, the next venue for Dr. Lloyd-Jones was in Michigan, uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. When he told me this story, I could have finished it because I knew what was coming. This is where Dutch Calvinists live. Uh, if you go to a phone book in Grand Rapids, they're all uh, Kuykendall and uh, all names of Dutch people. Well, doctor said when we flew to Grand Rapids, the man who met us at the airport was smoking a cigar. And then when we got to his home, he said, doctor, would you like a whiskey? <laughs> and uh, doctor could not get over the contrast, you see, between Grand Rapids and West Virginia. And, uh, but that's not the end of the story. On the Sunday night in Grand Rapids, after Dr. Lloyd-Jones had preached, they were going down this road and saw a Howard Johnson's restaurant. And doctor said, oh, there's a Howard Johnson's. I love their ice cream. Could we have some? Everybody went silent. The driver pulled over, went to the parking lot, not saying anything. And when he got into the restaurant, Dr. Lloyd-Jones said, is everything all right? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, now look here, we've been together several days. There's something not right. Are you sure everything's right? You've got to tell me, what is it? There's something not right. Well, he said, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, uh, 
Today is the Sabbath. We don't buy on Sunday. <laughs> and uh, so when they got to the room, Dr. Lloyd-Jones said to his wife, it seems that everybody has to have something they are against to feel a bit righteous. Well, this is the idea. And people go into this, and the bottom line says Paul, these things have the appearance of wisdom. And you think, you feel better if you're doing something, keeping laws, keeping a book of rules. But, listen, they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You see, it just doesn't work. You think by keeping these rules, you're going to be able to resist temptation all the more. It has nothing to do with it. But all it does is get your eyes off Jesus. And the wonderful thing is, we're saved by grace, we're kept by grace, and Paul is warning these Colossians, they're going to become Pharisees. Oh, that's not the way he put it. Uh, but let me ask you a question. Could you be a Pharisee? For example, do you love to point the finger at somebody? Do you love to say, gotcha? Uh, here's a good question. Do you enjoy sending people on a guilt trip? Simon. Does your wife ever send you on a guilt trip? You can't say now. Yeah, we'll talk later. Uh, do you require standard, standards of people? Do you practice guilt by association? Uh, do you say, well, if you don't agree with me, then you're of the devil? Or have you ever said, the trouble with these people, they've just never been saved? When I was at Westminster, I had some deacons that turned against me. Uh, they didn't like my ministry. And some would say, well, the problem with these deacons, they've never been saved. So easy to do that. If someone doesn't agree with you, you say, well, they're not Christians. I, I never took that view. I believe they were Christians. They, were, they loved God as much as I. But they are motivated by different things. And, uh, but here's the thing about a Pharisee. He has no sense of sin. No conviction of sin. They think that all they're doing is right. And remember, John said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so don't ever say you don't have sin. And by the way, here's another way to know if you're a Pharisee. If you call a person a Pharisee, you're a Pharisee. We can easily dismiss a person we don't like if we find something wrong with them. We get off, eyes off Jesus, we start judging, we start pointing the finger, and we lose the joy of our salvation. Well, you will have heard prob probably of D. James Kennedy, a man that started the, or founded the, uh, a movement called Evangelism Explosion, the two questions you've heard me ask them, do you know for sure if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Uh, if you were to stand before God and he says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Well, that same James Kennedy, when he was out in the world before he was saved, had his clock radio set to go off at a certain time. 
And when it went off, it happens that he heard Donald Gray Barnhouse, Presbyterian minister in Philadelphia, ask those two questions. And if you were to stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you in? What would you say? And the bottom line of the story is that James Kennedy prayed to receive the Lord that day. And he was converted. But there's something else. On that same broadcast was this hymn. One of my favorite hymns. I've quoted it in this series before. And uh, I don't know whether you know it or the tune. But it goes something like this. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. Sing it with me if you know it. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me will plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. This is the way you get to heaven. And by the way, what Paul is saying, this is the way to live. If it's good enough to die for, and it's what gets you ready for heaven, live this way. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. question is this. Is there someone here? If you're honest, you thought what will get you to heaven is that you do this, do that, and it hasn't entered your mind to just to rely entirely on the death of Jesus. If there's anybody here like that, you know that has been your hope. You tried to be good enough. I want you to pray this prayer. You don't need to say it out loud. But say this right now. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life. 